letting him inside right now. Ziggler, ball knocked away by Boswell. Ziggler gets it back. Seven on the shot clock. Boswell all over Ziggler now. Throws across court, right corner. Open. Three ball. Good. Courtney Ramey. Works his way in lob play for Ballo. Layup is good. Inside, nobody open there. Back door cut to Larson. He'll lay it in. Tucson, what's good? Hey everyone, welcome to Biased, an Arizona basketball podcast. I am your host, Ricky Garrett, here with my co-host. Ed Bardo, here sitting also in Tucson, knowing what's good. And you know what's good right now? What a simple question, quiz for all you fans out there. What are two eras, former Arizona players doing that LeBron James and Seth Curry or Steph Curry are not doing? NBA well, that Finals. Was, that's it, baby, playing in the NBA Finals. It's between Aaron Gordon and uh, Zeke Nagy. Well, the word playing may be used loosely here, but uh, between uh, Aaron Gordon and Zeke Nagy, both of them in the, uh, for, with the Denver Nuggets in the NBA Finals, congratulations. Hey, Aaron Gordon, his playing time is pretty good, but yeah, Zeke Nagy, hey, a ring is a ring, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Eric Gordon's uh, playing time is uh, particularly big considering in Game 4, the closeout game, playing in L.A., he does 22 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists, 9 for 14 shooting, 3 from 5 from 3-point land. Go, Aaron! It's pretty impressive. I, I'm really glad. I love how Arizona players tend to, you know, as they get further on in their careers in the NBA, they tend to get even better and better. I mean, look at Lowry Markinen. He had a first couple of years that were rough. And then he's starting to blossom in Utah. You talk about Aaron Gordon. He kind of bounced around, got two dunk contests stripped from him, uh, which he clearly won both of those. Uh, and now he's putting on a show in Denver. And it's just awesome to see these Arizona players contributing in a meaningful way. I'm, I'm just I'm just amazed, too. And it's I, I have to say, I have to say something about the scouts who uh, helped drive for the NBA teams who pick some of these players higher up, knowing that uh, they may not... Uh, they may start out a bit slow, but they're going to take off and grow big. And I'm glad to see Aaron Gordon and Larry as well. As few as a few others historically that have done the same. Go Cats. Absolutely. Go Bear former down, go cats. cats. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and once you're a Wildcat, you're always a Wildcat, right? That's it. That's it. So, guys, we got a great show for you today. Obviously, a lot has happened. we got a lot of recruiting news to talk about. Uh, first topic of the day, we will talk about one of the most exciting commitments we've had is Kashad Johnson from San Diego State. Ed, what does this mean to have somebody like Kashad Johnson join Arizona? Well, let's first of all, I'm going to use that as an excuse to take one of these uh, points that comes up a lot with Arizona fans that uh, is this belief that with the NIL, big name schools and others recruiting that if it uh, if it's us against them currently with uh, Tommy Lloyd, we don't win. I rest my case. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Kashad Johnson came to Arizona, and he had what I was told and what I've read was a wonderful visit. He had a, an excellent time here. And it makes sense. You know, Tommy Lloyd is such a great coach. He's he's a player's coach. That's not his motto these days, but he is a player's coach. You know, these guys love playing for Tommy. And, uh, and for Tommy Lloyd to let Kashad Johnson go to Kentucky and say, no, don't, you know, don't worry, guys, we got this. That shows so much confidence that he had. I mean, you're letting him go, Kashad Johnson, go talk to Calipari 
And typically, if anybody goes to talk to Coach Cal, it's done, you know? And that's what people were saying is, oh, he's going to go visit Kentucky. Well, there it goes. That's uh, it. But yeah, props that's it. to Tommy Lloyd for pulling it out. And, uh, you know, he was there at the commitment party for Kashad Johnson. And so that's just fantastic. I love it. I love getting a re- recruitment like this or commitment. Uh, who, who else was there at his recruitment? Uh, I mean, at that party? Uh, Iggy. That's it. That speaking of what once a wildcat, always a wildcat, right? Yep. Yeah, Iggy. I think had some some minor role in getting Kashad to come to Arizona. Um, it's it's fantastic. I love it, and I know Kashad Johnson. He's not going to replace Azulis Tabellis as far as you know the points and rebounds and whatnot. But Arizona needed a prime time four, and I think they got it. You know, Kashad Johnson had 14 points in the national championship game against UConn. And in Maui, uh, if everyone remembers, SDSU and Arizona played in Maui, and he had eight points, five rebounds against Arizona. I think what's going to occur here is <laughs> Steve Kerr, occur, no. Uh, what's going to happen here is he's going to be in a new system now with Tommy Lloyd that what you see as far as points and stats and all that stuff, it's probably not going to matter that much because I think his stats are going to grow tremendously being in Tommy's system because he is a fast break big very much like Azulis Tabellis. Uh, but what I like about him even more so is that he can play lockdown defense. You know, he was the primary defender on Brandon Miller for Alabama. And uh, I just love what I see from him. So what do you think? I, I agree. And so I'm going to say that what we see in the recruits right now tells you, let's let's think about what happened. The season ends with an unexpected loss to Princeton, okay? So you knew something had to change, right? Something big has to change. One of the things that's happening now with the new recruits at Tommy's head, and, and everybody remembers, you know, there was a lot of thinking, hey, it's quiet now that the season ended. We're not hearing anything about recruiting. What's going on? Well, suddenly there's a flurry of this going on now, and Keisha Johnson is a big part of that. And all of these pieces are making a statement now that Tommy's forming his team. This isn't the old, hey, is, is, is that a Sean Miller player or what? This is this is Tommy's team. He's forming the team that he wants. Who he targeted is very, very specific. And so the the fact that Keyshawn Johnson has is a significant defensive player, I think, was something that uh, was really recognized as a gap in what Arizona had to bring to the table, and it, it previously. And I think that addressing this now and with bringing a couple of defensive players, which we'll talk about, is just I think a sign one of the pieces that Tommy is showing us as to what he wants the team to look like with his recruits. And I want to dwell on a c- couple of things just to you know, to kind of gloat this to some extent as an Arizona fan, you had mentioned, here's a player who played in the national championship game, was a, 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 a he was a key player in uh, getting them there. He, he did score, he did make some contributions and so forth. But here's a guy who was being recruited by big name schools. So including USC, think about that. I mean, Bronny James just commits to there. There's all this excitement about USC suddenly. It had been easy to imagine him stepping away and being tempted by other schools, going to Kentucky, big name school with the NIL possibilities, all these type of things. But no, where does he choose to come? Arizona. Yep. That's it. I just really want everybody to think about that as, you know, I know some folks here will know what it was like to be on the bandwagon of, hey, where's the recruiting post uh, end of tourney? But here we are. Right. And you brought up this point just recently. I wanted to talk about it. Um, it's nice to see Tommy Lloyd's plan, right? And his plan was to get some defensive players. He did not like being punked by Princeton. And so. Getting these guys, Jaden Bradley, getting Kashad Johnson, 
having Kylan Boswell take that next step. These guys are, are building a toughness now. And so I think the offense will come naturally. I don't think we're going to have any problems with offense, even if these guys' stats don't prove that. I think with the way Arizona moves the ball, with Tommy Lloyd's system and his coaching, offense isn't the problem. He needed to focus on getting some defensive players, and he did. And I think that's going to really, really help Arizona next year. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing these guys play because I think this is going to be a really nice cohesive group and a really strong, tough, defensive-minded group. And it's amazing to think about it, too. If you look at the overall picture of who, who's who been recruited and who has committed to Arizona, you have typically there's something, you know, you might see a team that focuses more of its scholarship players on uh, guard play, uh, perimeter shooting. You might see guys who focus on big men. You might think, oh, you, you, they have a set piece, a few set pieces for a certain offense. But in Arizona's recruiting, there is a pretty solid base being covered with big men with guards <laughs> we're mm-hmm. quite a bit deeper in the guard play now um we're uh, and defense i mean it's it, i'm pretty impressed by the uh, spread of the type of positions and the type of expertise that tommy's bringing in and we'll talk about this point a little bit later but it, it seems as of right now uh tommy has used all 13 scholarships which he did not do this is the first time he has done that in the two years that he's been here two years plus um and so it's nice to see that hopefully we'll be building some depth on the bench, right? Because last year we played seven guys, and if anything happened to those seven guys, if you know something, somebody got injured or whatnot, and that happened, uh, you know, you start to lose that depth. And so now with having thirteen scholarship players and thirteen guys that you know might actually have contributable minutes, they, they'll be able to do something on the court is fantastic. I love having that depth. And and we saw we saw that at times Arizona particularly when a single player was injured or not playing as well. We saw that we didn't have as much optionality because we played seven players. We saw that uh, Anderson and Visar, for example, that started to show they weren't ready for prime time. They were good for taking fouls and stepping in for short minutes when we needed them, but they certainly weren't ready to take over the team with the, with the absence of Tubelis. And so it, it's really, really impressive. And when I started looking at all the different pieces, as we're going to discuss, that have come to Arizona now in the in the new team, I'm just pretty amazed at the type of coverage we will suddenly have compared to what we had just in the previous year. And let's not forget, folks, given the teams that he given the teams that he had the attrition to the NBA and to uh, graduation and so forth. Think about where we ended up. Okay, I get it. We lost to Princeton. But think about where we ended up as a number two and a number one seed in the last two years. Absolutely. Yeah, Tommy's got a formula, and it's working. We just got to get that toughness piece put together with the defense, and then I think Tommy Lloyd's going to succeed in the postseason. It's just going to take some time. Um, You know, he's only in his third year, and, uh, you know, let's give him that time. But I think he's proven right now in the offseason that he can recruit. So let's just drop that line altogether that he can't because he certainly can. And now we get to focus on his coaching and, you know, let's see how he brings these guys together because I'm really excited about this team. I've already said it a couple times this podcast, but I'm very, very excited to see what these guys can do. And uh, who knows? I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. I would peg Arizona anywhere between 15 and 18 in the top 25 in the preseason. Uh, they may surprise people just like they have the last two years and move up very quickly. We'll see. We just have to see how they I, I agree. I totally agree. Right now, I think like CBS Sports is Arizona at number 23. 
uh, something like that. And I think a lot of it is because they just haven't been updating and paying attention to recent recruiting because even a lot of the information they have seems a bit outdated. But folks, just remember, don't let uh, the, don't let some of those preseason polls phase you. You saw how in previously we came out of nowhere. In the past two years, we've done quite a bit better than the polls expected to start. Again, discounting how the tournament turned out. Right, right. I do, yeah, I do want to mention that. But uh, this, I mean, we all knew. You and I have hyped, uh, you know, harped on this point a few times. Poten- poten- uh, probably the most after the NCAA tourney happened because we had to ta- we had to do some therapy and take out a little bit of anger. But one of the points that we re- really made was. Something's got to change. And this was particularly brought up when you and I were discussing Kirkreesa uh, leaving and the transfer portal. And I had brought up this point, you know, fundamentally after what happened in the tournament, it's clear something has to change. You can't go with the same formula, the same configuration and think that you're going to get better results. Right. And my God, this recruiting has clearly indicated that this is a, a, a big transformation, I think. Isn't that the definition of insanity is doing something over and over again and expecting some a different result? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I was thinking the same exact quote as a matter of fact. It's just, yep. it, it just was clear that if it had been any probably uh, less dramatic than a Princeton loss in the first round, it, it might have you know, kind of made it harder to see. But that made it very clear that something had to change. For sure. So along those lines, you know, we've got a domestic recruit or commitment from Kishad Johnson. We've got Jaden Bradley who came in, but there's going to be that mix because Tommy Lloyd is kind of the international guy. So Arizona has brought in now three international players. Uh, forgive me if I butcher any of these names because you know <laughs> I may. So we'll see. Uh, Motihas Krivas. He's from Lithuania. He's a seven-two legitimate center. Uh, he's a big guy, 250 pounds, has a wingspan of seven foot five inches. That's crazy, uh, and he's. Kind of what I like, which is a traditional back to the court center. Like he loves, you know, just backing down guys and dominating. And I, I think the college game needs that. Uh, I know Shaq loves players like that in the NBA. Uh, I feel the same way. I love those guys that can just back a guy down and dominate. You know, DeAndre Ayton used to be like that, where he could just back a guy down. At least at Arizona, he didn't do so much at you know, not so you know, much uh, in Phoenix, Phoenix <laughs> but uh, we won't talk about that right now. Um, Arizona also picked up Polias Morauskas from Lithuania. He's a 6'8 wing. Uh, apparently, he and Henry Vesar went played against each other, and uh, Polias got the better of Henry Vesar. So I'd be interested to see him play. He's got uh, an average of 7.7 points this last year and 42% from three. Uh, I'm really excited to see you know what these guards can do because three-point shooting for Arizona has been very spotty. Um, so if these international guys, you know, if Jaden Bradley, uh, Pell Larson, hopefully he can take the next, the next step to, to be a good shooter. KJ Lewis, uh, really excited to see our, our three point percentages improve. And then finally, Conrad Martinez, that just happened, I believe yesterday or the day before, uh, he's a Spaniard and, uh, he averaged in, in their league 16.6 points per game. So, uh, again, Arizona's adding these international players and it's kind of hit or miss, how these guys will turn out. Uh, but I trust Tommy and I think he's going to do a great job with these guys. And what do you think, Ed, these three international guys? Oh, I think it's fantastic. And it, nothing like using the pipeline out of Lithuania and Europe, right? No kidding. <laughs> also, no kidding. also Africa. And, and uh, I think he's, you know, we, we've previously had quite a few players from Africa as well, but uh, I, I'm, 
I, I uh, agree with you that, first of all, we have to be careful that we may or may not be saying the names exactly right, so we apologize up front. But the idea of having a 7-2 center with the type of training we've seen with our big uh, big guy coaches at Arizona to transform Umar Balo, mm-hmm. what do you think that could turn into? Oh, man. <laughs> That's pretty exciting to think about. I mean, you have the raw material of a of a guy who's apparently won the genetic lottery when it comes to size. Thank, yeah, th- thank you for that one. But uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I uh, but, uh, I made a joke on Twitter the other day because we've got all these bigs now. I feel like we have a plethora of these bigs, and uh, I would love to see a lineup where Arizona's dominating, and they have Motias Crevis in there at seven two. Then you've got Umar Balo, Henry Vasar. Maybe this Paulius Morauskas guy who's six eight, um, and then Dylan Anderson. Just put all our bigs out and have like the monsters from. <laughs> just Space just put up a skyline. We'll call them the skyline and just set them out there and see if anybody can shoot over them. Exactly, it would just be fun to, especially against a lesser team, just to put those big guys out there and have them say what. <laughs> what so, are we going so against? Normal- yeah, what's what's amazing about this, and you mentioned the fact that this is the first time I think this is the first time Tommy's using the full complement of the scholarships he had available. He he hadn't done that previously because it was assumed we would lose one based on sanctions against Arizona, and so he had been only using twelve at the time. But the, uh, but uh, now he's going to use the full suite here, and the the our, our Spaniard friend is now the uh, latest edition that takes the final one. So this paints an interesting picture of a team. So normally when you Focus a lot of effort, and you have the big guys that you do. You sacrifice someplace else in terms of depth. Right. But one of the things you can say about this Arizona team, particularly with the the spread here, is that's not the case. Look at just take the guard position for example. Mm-hmm. How many options do you have at guard now? Four. <laughs> it's amazing. Kylan Boswell, Jaden Bradley, this Conrad Martinez, and then Pella Larson. That's it. That's so. pretty. That's pretty amazing to think about. Is that uh, everybody can remember, of course, what the guard situation was like in the previous year? How, the, there was a high dependency on basically Colin Boswell and uh, Kirkisa. And, and one this, of uh, we'll do a little bit of foreshadowing, but um, we don't really know for sure what's going to happen with Telvilas Tubelis, Tubelis's brother, um, Azulis Tubelis's brother. Uh, he may or may not stay with Arizona. If he doesn't stay, then that brings our scholarships back down to 12. And so Arizona does have their eye on another guard. Um, we'll talk about that in just a second, though, because I wanted to talk about Pella Larson exiting the NBA draft. We all knew this was coming, right? <laughs> Let's face it. If you took a look at the whole complement of Arizona players uh, that were eligible i mean who would have been could have declared for the draft we knew it was a stretch that any one of them actually could uh, would get selected so obviously azulis tubelis was the number one hope to get a selected uh, in the draft and we knew he was going to go but even then i mean in a lot of cases when you look at uh, some mock drafts out there he's not even selected in in right. many cases it's a very competitive draft this year and uh, so Pella Larson, some... I don't think we'd ever doubted that one. <laughs> right. Yeah, we knew for sure he was coming back. Uh, they did those the combined skill sets, and you could see some of Tubelis' stats, and they were okay, but you could see there were tons of guys ahead of him that were you know, practicing the three-point shot, and they were able to nail him. Um, like I said, he did okay. He was kind of middle of the pack or maybe towards the lower end. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where he goes in the draft, if at all. Um, obviously, at this point, we can rest assured that he is not coming back. Tommy Lloyd is recruiting like Tubelis is not coming back, and we should not expect him to come back. Uh, it would 
be amazing if he did, but right now there's no chance he's coming back. So, yeah, um, I think he's already decided he's playing professionally, whether or not it's in the NBA. So, I mean, he, if, if folks aren't familiar with it, there are ways to getting into the NBA without necessarily getting selected into the draft. And there's also possibilities, uh, given his background and stuff, he might want to play in the European leagues, but I'm pretty sure he's going pro. Yeah, I mean, look at what T.J. McConnell did. He wasn't exactly that was the example I was thinking of. That was the example. I think our I was goal in this podcast of. is to mention T.J. McConnell at least once per podcast. You good with that? Yeah, I, I think so. When we talk about guard play, <laughs> who do we think about a lot as the floor general? Oh, I would. Can I say T.J. McConnell again? <laughs> and when we speak about ex Wildcats succeeding in the NBA and turning out to be uh, more than what people expected since he wasn't drafted, who can we mention? T.J. McConnell. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I just I love his story. I love what he did for Sean Miller here at Arizona. I love what he did in the NBA. He's the ultimate underdog. Nobody really believed in him or thought he could do anything. And he's thriving on a Pacers team. And it's just fantastic to see. I love it. And what's particularly good about that, too, he happens to be on a Pacers team who t- used their draft pick last year for another Arizona guy. Benedict Matherin. <laughs> exactly. Love it. Uh, so speaking of love, that was a great transition, by the way. I l- thank you for setting me up for that. Uh, Caleb Love from North Carolina. He originally uh, was in the transfer portal and was going to head to Michigan. Now, unfortunately, Caleb Love had some uh, credits not transfer, and so he was not able to get in past the admissions at Michigan. Um, they were working on a way to get him you know, through the classes that he needed, but he would have had to take a really heavy load during the spring semester and the summer semester. And I don't think he felt like doing that. So he decommitted from Michigan and has reopened his commitment. And Arizona is one of the finalists. Now Gonzaga is also a finalist for Caleb Love. Uh, but assuming Arizona does have that scholarship from Tavilas to uh, what do you think about picking up Caleb Love, another guard? That that would be huge. The only the one concern I have, and and I knew that I I, I saw how this played out, and I saw when Michigan kind of dropped off the picture that he started his focus. That the candidates basically went to Texas, Gonzaga, and Arizona. I think. Um, I, I the one thing I have to wonder about and how he balances this is you're starting to bring a lot of really great potential into Arizona. How with the transport transfer portal being the way it is, and we had a pretty good discussion on this previously how do you think that plays out for playing time and people sticking around you know my biggest worry is Jaden Bradley because yeah that's what I'm thinking Arizona wanted Jaden Bradley like he was one of the top guys on their list after Ryan Nemhard and so you you can't prioritize a guy like Jaden Bradley and then bring in Caleb Love and say oh sorry Jaden we're gonna put you on the bench you know so it's gonna be an interesting dynamic if Arizona ends up getting Caleb Love I haven't heard one way or another how close Arizona is to getting him. If you know they're high on Caleb Love's list, obviously he's got a list of Gonzaga, Texas, and Arizona. Um, I just don't want to mess with that dynamic because I, I do believe in Jaden Bradley, and I think he can be really good for Arizona. Um, I, I agree. But, I agree, and that's why I brought it up. I mean, you, when you asked me about it, the, the obvious thing was I could have just dwelled on the fact that he was North Carolina's leading scorer. And not that in the last year that that was necessarily an amazing thing given the results that they had last year. But um, it's still, you're talking about someone with proven scoring potential that they would leave a, a, lead a tier one school like that, a basketball school. But no, the point I made is exactly what you said, is that the thing you have to think about here is that it's all good and fine to get a bunch of four and five star recruits. But if they, if they aren't playing 
they know what they are. They know what their uh, ego tells them they are. And so we know how basketball players and sports people can be prima donnas a little bit. If they're in a situation where they're not getting the playing time or the focus, or they're not starting like they expect to, how do you manage that? Right. In the past, it was the past. The redshirt season deterred people from, uh, you know, it made them swallow their pride a little bit and and just work on getting better. But nowadays, with the transfer portal, I'm not so convinced that's so easy to do anymore. Right. And so, what's interesting is. If you're Tommy Lloyd, do you do kind of what Jed Fish did? Because Jed Fish took another receiver. And Arizona's receiving core in football is kind of already set. But the Colorado receiver that Arizona just picked up, Montana Lamonius Craig, he is a stud. You know, last year he had, he caught 23 balls for 359 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, He's a beast as a receiver. Do you turn a guy like that down, even though he's an immediate upgrade, or do you just take him and figure it out? You know, that's kind of what I think Tommy Lloyd's going to have to do because if Arizona is in consideration strongly for Caleb Love, how do you turn him down as an elite scorer? Um, you know, it's going to be tough to do that. So I think Tom, Tommy's move has got to be that he's got to have a plan that everybody agrees to. That uh, One of the things Tommy's been really, really good to do, and I'm going to say he, better than Sean in many cases, was that he's been able to uh, get folks to play as part of a team without having to be all, you know, even when you have a superstar on the team and stuff, he's been able to get them to play and, and contribute as a team and sit down when they need to. And Yeah. Well, look and, at Ben Matherin. You know, Ben Matherin was a stud, and he stepped up when we needed him to, but he had no problem sharing the ball with David. He didn't Perry, do Christian one-on-one. Pelican. No, he didn't do yep. one-on-one basketball. He played as part of a team. And Azulis Tobelis, and the, the part that really struck me is like Azulis, when he was on his about to set a record with the most points scored in the game there, and he just he sat down. He yeah. didn't push. He didn't focus on that and, and so Darn forth. It. And that was, both a, <laughs> that was both a good and a bad because, to some extent, that was a reflection of kind of his uh, – his uh, his overall attitude, perhaps at times where he could have used that competitive verge to drive him a little further, but in general, I'm sure, and I have confidence in Tommy that he's got he's got a plan because his ver- the specific uh, targets that he went after looked like he had a very specific uh, plan in front of him, and that he was filling in those pieces. He didn't go on a I don't think he went on a random recruiting, going after everybody who uh, was available, right. And Caleb Love reminds me a little bit of a Kirk Creesa, not in the sense that Kirk Creesa was scoring tons of points and everything and went to the championship game. He obviously hadn't. Uh, but Caleb Love likes to jack a lot of shots. And one of the things that we disliked about Kirk Creesa was he just kept jacking threes, even if he was missing. And I get it, shooters shoot. But still, that can shoot you out of a game often. And Caleb Love has a history of doing that with North Carolina. Uh, but also when he does score, he scores. I mean, he's an elite scorer, so you can't turn him down. So it'll be interesting. Like you said, it'll be interesting to see how Tommy Lloyd um, handles this recruitment of Caleb Love and how he talks to you know somebody like Jaden Bradley and says, you know, are you okay with us bringing this guy in? Um, or if that conversation even exists, I don't know. But yeah, um, and that's and and that's what I, th- I think Tommy is going to do is I think Tommy has a plan and he's communicating with his players. So you and I discussed this previously, and the, and folks, this is welcome to the depth of how deep we go and keep the, the shows connected. So previously, we've talked about what was the motivation for Kirk Cruz to leave 
why he entered the transfer portal. And I think in many cases, the reason why it seemed like a surprise to a lot of folks and immediately everybody jumped to the conclusion that uh, he did that because the fans were so brutal to him, I think that's part of it. But the other part, I think, is that Tommy knows, a he communicates to his players about what the plan is. Mm-hmm. I believe that, that he's communicating what the plan is and how they fit in and what they can be to be a part of it. And he gives them a chance to, he tells them what the plan is and say, prove that you're part of this plan. And they have to go out and prove it. And uh, th- that's why I think Kerr knew that things were changing beyond everything else that happened. I think he knew that there was a, a shift in the way the plan was going to be to address the Princeton loss and address the, cha- the gaps they had. And this causes them to uh, to really understand and make decisions about what their future is going to be like and if they want to be a part of that. You just made me think of something. Um, and that's why I love Tommy Lloyd as a coach because – yeah, he had that conversation with Kerr. But during the season, how many times in post games did you hear these reporters ask Tommy Lloyd about Kirk Risa after a bad game that he had? Say, you know, are you going to play Kylan more or what's what's going on with the point guard situation? And how many times did Tommy Lloyd say, Kerr's my guy? Right? So this is why I love Tommy as a coach because he gave Kerr the whole year. I mean, he had several years with with Tommy Lloyd, but he gave Kerr that whole year last year, even when he was in his struggles, and he said, Kerr is our guy. And he gave Kerr the opportunity to figure it out, right? If Kerr didn't figure it out, then you know we're at where we're at right now. Uh, but he at least gave him the opportunity. He didn't cut Kerr off right away and say, okay, sorry, no, we're going to go with a different guy. And then Kerr's just upset and leaves. He gave Kerr the chance. You know, Kerr didn't do what he expected Kerr to do. And so it was time to move on. But at least he gave him the opportunity. And I think that's a great coach. I agree. I agree. And, and and let's face it, folks, when it comes down to it, coaches under 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 pressure to win and motivate the players. Yes, they're developing um, developing professionals. Yes, they're developing players to be great players and great humans in general and great parts of their community. But in the end, a coach's job depends on them winning. When I don't uh, we've mentioned the Princeton game multiple times, and I just want to make a point here. Think about this. When you can't get your team up to play and your players can't perform in a situation where it's all or nothing season ending for a national championship where many people are choosing you to go the distance and win it and you can't even get up to get through when you're a two seed over a 15 that's not just a bad game that's a reflection of some issues that, that some fundamental issues and Tommy's at Tommy's doing something about it, which I think is great. And he has he's starting to execute on a plan, and sometimes it, mean, it means breaking some eggs to make a cake. And I don't think a lot of that should fall on Tommy with what happened with Princeton. I think Tommy is really good at motivating his team. I think his teams have shown that, you know, Tommy can motivate them, and they'll come out with these big wins. You know, Arizona beats Michigan. You know, Arizona beats Creighton and wins the Maui Invitational. Arizona beats Tennessee. Arizona beats San Diego State. Whatever. Whoever it may be, Tommy is really good. You know, Arizona beats Illinois at Illinois. Tommy is good at motivating these guys, but it's on the players, too, to have that desire and that passion to want to compete. And you and I have talked about this ad nauseum. Kirk Creesa oftentimes didn't have that passion, and you saw it, you know, at uh, at the March Madness Selection Sunday show when he didn't care that, you know, oh, it was just another day. And when he said after the Princeton game, you know, they wanted it more than we did. What? <laughs> so <laughs> I don't put a lot of blame on Tommy. And I, I think don't. The player, yeah, the so, players yeah, have I, to have. 
that that that's not what my point yeah that's exactly it and i'm not intending to put it on tommy i'm saying exactly that is that tommy's done everything right to to tell them what's up at stake and get them motivated and stuff but when the players come out in a game like princeton where it's all or nothing where you have a real legitimate shot at a title here for all of the you know all of the uh, all the glory everything that you can get is right here in front of you and yet yeah you know, like mm-hmm. you said, I was thinking exactly the same thing you said there about Kirk Kreese. just kind of like, ah, it's no yeah. big deal. Right. My God. No, this is it. This is for everything. That exactly. should get you going. And he knew he knew after that was done that something needed to change. And that's why you bring guys in like Jaden Bradley and Kashad Johnson, especially Kashad Johnson, because he was just in a national championship game. I mean, talk about the leadership that he's going to bring to Arizona. Saying, guys, look, I've been there. I know what this takes. You guys got to buckle in, but we can do it. We can get there. Uh, I think that is huge. That'll speak volumes for what Kishad Johnson will bring to this team and and then what he can do to these guys to help get them prepped for a run to the the uh, national championship game. Well, you so. actually, actually, you reminded me of uh, something you said previously, which I completely agree on. So as Tommy is very well, fa- his, he's famous for bringing in international players and using that international pipeline to bring players in. One of the things that I think is very important is that um, you had mentioned previously that perhaps Azulis Tubelis and Kirk Krisa don't fully, be, because they are international players and haven't lived their entire life on the NCAA tournament and live and die uh, in March Madness, that perhaps the emotion and the, the intensity and the drive just wasn't there, like might be from a more domestic player who's lived and died by that their whole life. And so I think one of the things I find really exciting is with the mix of domestic players who really have, who really know what it's all about, it's particularly one who's just played in the championship game, um, that's going to bring some energy and passion and stuff that I think will ignite the rest of the team. It's because that, I think, could take you another level. Exactly. Yep. I agree 100%. So with all this talk about all these recruitments and all these guys that are coming in, uh, let's talk about the lineup for next year and what that might look like. Uh, so some of our key losses are obviously Courtney Ramey, Cedric Henderson, Kirk Risa, who went to West Virginia, Adama Ball, and Azulis Tubelis. Uh, the projected lineup would be probably Jaden Bradley, Kylan Boswell, Pella Larson, Kashad Johnson, and Umar Ballo with a bench of Philly B., uh, Dylan Anderson, Tavilas Tubelis, if we end up keeping his scholarship, uh, KJ Lewis, Motias Krivas, uh, Henry Vesar, and Polias Moraskas, and then obviously uh, Martinez, uh, the guard from Spain. So what do you think of that starting lineup and uh, any thoughts or concerns? My question, and, and my brother brought this up, he said, where are the points going to come from? And I kind of agree because there's no real elite scores, although I think Kylan can be. And I think we're going to see a different Kashad Johnson than we saw at San Diego State because, again, he is a guy who can run the court. And what does Tommy like to do? He likes his guys to run the court, get those transition buckets. Uh, We know what Jaden Bradley can bring as a guard. uh, And he's going to find those cracks in the defense and get into the paint and get fouled and shoot free throws. Umar Balo, I mean, he took a huge leap last year. And I expect him to at least do the same uh, or make an even bigger leap. Um, And then Pella Larson. There's some dynamic there because Pella was great off the bench, and now the projected lineup is him starting. Um, so what do you think about this lineup and any concerns from you, at least from a scoring standpoint or any other concerns? 
So uh, you you hit it on the you hit it on the mark. I couldn't agree with more with what you said. You actually uh, beat me to the punch there. One of the ones I was going to think about immediately is if you look at Umar Balo and his advancement from uh, in the last year, and you look at him pre ASU game at ASU. Okay, so that was the one where he was sick and he had the intestinal issues. And you look at how well he was playing, all the way from being MVP at the uh, the uh, Maui Invitational, and just he was on a roll, right? Now he's got a whole off season to build to work, and we've seen that the big man coaches do an amazing job at getting their footwork worked out and get out, working on their offense. I think Umar has a lot of potential of being an amazing points uh, contributor, as well as being a presence down low at uh, defensively if he if if he improves upon that. I think that uh, I think, like you said, one of the things you mentioned about uh, about uh, uh, about Keyshawn Johnson and Jaden Bradley, they're both no, they're known a bit too, also for the de- they're known for their defense too. But I think in the scheme of the way Tommy is orchestrating his offense, that there's a good chance their numbers are going to go up quite a bit. Yeah. I honestly think that the starting lineup may be the starting lineup now. But given the players he has, we're going to see a lot of rotation. Yeah. And that's what's great is he was very kind of hell-bent on the lineup that he had last year. And it was like, these are the guys I'm sending out there. These are our bench guys. There it is. And uh, Pella yeah, Larson's case is a perfect example of what happened to him last year. Exactly. So it'll be interesting to see how Pella handles that this year. Because last year, it actually helped him to come off the bench. And it really boosted our bench. But now if we actually have a decent bench, um, you know, who knows what's going to happen. And... and Hopefully he responds really well, and hopefully he rises to the occasion and, and becomes that legit starter that we hoped he would be last year. Um, yep. But yeah, there there are some interesting quirks with this this lineup, but I love it. Um, I think Arizona is going to flourish, and like you said, Arizona is only getting better defensively. I think it's going to be really hard to score points against Arizona, which is not something you would say last year. I think a lot of teams scored against us very easily, especially if they were a good three point shooting team, Stanford, Washington State. Um, Oregon, but uh, I think it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be tough to score against Arizona this year. And now we're not just you know happy about the offense; we're happy about the defense too. And I love having you know that dynamic of having both sides. And just so we can see it, Tommy, if you're listening, we'll, we'll do whatever you want. If you want on one of the exhibition games, you throw up the skyline defense. Throw all the big guys out there closest to seven foot. Throw them all out there, and let's see what happens. Tommy, if you're listening, I want a little... Tucson! What's good? Tucson! What's good? That was double time right there. I want two of them. That's it. I want it. And we know what's good. We want to see that skyline defense just in operation, just to say, just to take a picture of having that many big guys on the floor at once. Absolutely. It would just be so fun to watch that lineup. I know those guys probably wouldn't be able to dribble, and they might turn it over a bunch of times. But if we're up 30 or 20 or whatever, let's Put have some out fun there. with it. Put yeah. them out there, and then afterwards, take a, get a photo op with all of them standing side by side, with uh, <laughs> you standing in front of them. Yeah, that'd be great. I would love that. Uh, so, one thing that's really impressed us about Tommy Lloyd is his ability to schedule teams, and I'm not talking about just schedule these games that are part of tournaments or whatnot. These are non-conference games, either at these opponents' arenas. Or at a neutral court, it's not like, okay, hopefully we play in the Maui Invitational and get to the final so we can play this team or that team. Uh, these are scheduled games. So uh, first up on the list is Alabama. What do you think about Tommy Lloyd scheduling Alabama? Oh, that, no, that's great because, let's face it, one of the things that's happened here recently is in the past, uh, I can remember I've been watching college basketball my entire life, and in the past it was, you know, the ACC had been such a focus for a long time, and then the Big Ten and so forth. 
um, the SEC went from being a football school to a football and basketball school and really stood out now. And Alabama, of course, got a lot of prominence and a lot of folks had them picked. Uh, the overwhelming number one choice to win the title last year was Alabama, as it, of course, did turn out. But that was the thinking. Um, so having an SEC team and having a premier one that has really risen to the top of that con- risen towards the top of that conference is going to just really, really do a whole lot to uh, do a whole lot to bring. Uh, uh, I guess this potentially has an opportunity too to increase the number of SEC Pac-12 type, well, Pac uh, type of uh, home and away type of games that could happen. Yeah. Yeah, we're still Pac-12 for this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we shrink. <laughs> um, oh, I also think that it's going to be interesting seeing how Jaden Bradley plays against his former team. Yeah, I think that I think he'll play, I think he'll play with a lot of energy too. And then you know we we we've also expressed in previous uh, casts some of the um, I guess grudge that we held based on how the whole. Uh, uh, the the whole uh, how things were handled and stuff at Alabama with their coach and with some of their players, but we won't we won't revisit that in too much depth. But so it'll be nice to take out a little bit of anger on that. <laughs> yeah, it'll be nice to just play basketball, right? Just play basketball and p- settle it on the court. Exactly. And then uh, Thanksgiving Day in Palm Springs, we got Arizona versus Michigan State. These are always awesome games, and fortunately, you know, we've been able to play several games against Tom Izzo. He's been there for so long. Um, obviously, we remember 2001 when Arizona beat Michigan State in the Final Four, and Tom Izzo did the face palm. Uh, that was so great to see that. Uh, Arizona beat Michigan State in Hawaii uh, in the Diamond Head Classic, which was a, a classic in and of itself. It was a really, really good game where Michigan State had a 10-point lead for most of the game, and Arizona came back. Uh, I'm really excited about this game. I, I think Arizona-Michigan State, it's always fun, right? So Michigan State is a uh, is a premier team it's it's a premier team it always has with as long as i mean with tom Izzo there one of the things i think can prove it is just think of last season no one had michigan state just no one really was thinking based on their season and stuff that they would uh, be as good as they were but we said hey it's tom Izzo's team they're always going to be a challenge to play they're going to be always be up to playing they're a premier program so arizona playing michigan state that sounds like an espn primetime game to me <laughs> absolutely absolutely and then we've got two teams that we have quite the history with, Ed. And I'm going to play some music here to set us up here for this. Arizona has scheduled a home-and-home home with the Duke Blue Devils and the Wisconsin Badgers. Ed, what do you think? Well, I mean, talk about talk about just, I mean, if Alabama and uh, Michigan State weren't enough, talk about bringing some of the uh, some of the. Uh, big names into into play here we are here we are a lot of history there right oh man and if you guys didn't get it yet duke and wisconsin are on the dark side so just in case you didn't get that they are on the dark side <laughs> if 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 we were to there's a few teams in uh, that uh, i don't have to explain for arizona fans for those of you who don't have memory or who have recently become an arizona fan there are a few schools that have caused us more pain in the NCAA tournament where it matters the most than this. I'll, I'll bring Illinois in there, too, for a, a reason. But uh, Duke, the, our chance to get our second national championship, yeah, that, that will sting for a while. No, yep. no amount of beating them in the re- regular season is going to make up for that. We're going to have to eventually, uh, eventually have to do that in the tournament again to them. Um, and then, of course, uh, Wisconsin – 
the barrier with the amazing three-point shooting that always seemed to happen when we played him in the tournament for us get, getting Sean Miller his final four badge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just love the fact for Duke's side that, you know, as soon as Coach K leaves, now, you know, these guys, John Shire is able to schedule games, uh, big games. And it's nice because we wanted that. We wanted Lute Olsen and Coach K to go against each other several times. You know, it would have been a great series. Um, so it's nice that John Shire is open to doing that. And, uh, you know, props to him. And then, yeah, Wisconsin, man, those games just hurt so badly because those Sean Miller teams were absolutely loaded. And I think had they beaten Wisconsin both those times, you know, it's hard to say whether or not they would have won a title, but I'm pretty sure they would have. And Sean and, Miller could have two titles right now, or at least two Final Fours, right? That's it. That's it. It's, and it's amazing to us. Like, who's heard of Frank Kaminsky since then? But my God, he was just on fire. <laughs> and it's or, just. It's, or Sam Decker, right? That's right. Sam Decker, exactly. The, the, no one. Arizona fans remember those names in infamy. I mean, it's just. You just don't forget it, what happened. And. But. That's that's the way it's been, and that history, of course, uh, carries a lot of weight behind it. And so, yeah, look, folks, let, let me make one thing clear: neither uh, Ricky or myself uh, dislike the coaches or the teams at all and stuff. We're just we know that it's the history that matters. And John Shire coming in and stuff is we, I really like him as a coach. I think he's a fantastic. He has great history with the Duke program. He's got he's been in national championship team with them. He's a great coach. He's good. He's fantastic for the program, and I'm glad that he's uh, uh, he's allowing us to play them, and he's being part of this as well as Tommy. Uh, we also we love Coach K, even yeah. as much as we pick on him and talk, call him the dark side. Coach K is a great coach, worth all of the accolades that he had earned and so forth. We're just picking on him that way, but we as Arizona fans know what it means to say Duke and uh, Wisconsin, and to some extent Illinois. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Arizona fans, we have a lot of respect for several coaches. There aren't many that we don't have respect for, if, unless you're talking about Mick Cronin. But other than that, uh, there's, yeah, there's not yeah, much. Yeah, I'll, right? I'll buy that one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's great. I love that Tommy is scheduling these games. You know, Alabama, Duke, Michigan State, Wisconsin, those are four premier programs, and it gives Arizona fans and, you know, these fans, their teams, it uh, gives them something to look forward to because we want to see these big games. And oftentimes we don't get to see them if it's, you know, one of those preseason tournaments where it's, you know, Kansas, Duke, Kentucky, and Michigan State or, or whatever it is. Um, we get to see those, but we want to see some more of that. And so I'm so happy that Tommy Lloyd is able to schedule these games. And, uh, you know, at the time of these games, Duke could be the number one team in the country. Um, their preseason rank is looking to be like it's going to be them as the number one, the top dog. Um, so these te- these games will have meaning, right? So it's going to be fun to watch. Absolutely. And let's, let's think of it even on a deeper level here. So one of the things that happens, uh, as everybody knows, is we re- arrive to Selection Sunday and everybody questions their seating. Well, one of the things that really, really hurts uh, teams is when they're in a conference that's not considered, say, a premier conference or a top conference in terms of strength of schedule. And so, unfortunately, for better or for worse, the Pac-12 has become the uh, kind of the basement of the uh, power conference schools. And a lot of people did not give us much credit for wins that occur within the Pac-12. So what does that mean? You can argue that point uh, forever, but it's just just the reality of it is that the Pac-12 didn't uh, demonstrate enough to make it to where they were considered a a strong strength of schedule. So what that means is you got your non-conference games. 
you got your non-conference games to make a statement about who you are and, and, and those non-conference games and your success against those then carry into conference play to show you how strong that conference really is. So lining up, put, taking a lineup like this just shows a confidence in your team and your capability and also puts you out there. It really puts you out there and will do a whole lot to help your conference as well. Yeah, absolutely. I Just like last year, Arizona had such quality non-conference wins, and I think that's ultimately what helped them get that number two seed. And so that's what you're doing is you're playing these big games and you're setting yourself up for the big dance. Um, fortunately, this year, I think the Pac-12 will even be healthier, and, and, and I mean healthier by competition standards. I think Arizona is going to be up there. I think UCLA will remain at the top as well. Uh, USC looks to be a powerhouse. Oregon looks to be semi-back. We'll see. Um, but it's nice to see that you know the Pac-12 will also be healthy, and then Arizona is also going to have these non-conference games. So there's going to be some opportunities for some quad one wins, and uh, we'll just see if Arizona can take advantage of them, right? So there's going to be a lot of folks who are going to be, uh, be stressing out in the coming basketball season because, yes, there are no bye weekends for us. It's all going to be hardcore. Let's do it. Well, and what we learned is even Washington State, they're not a buy. <laughs> no, you know? no. And, and that's one thing is that no one fully gave us uh, – we got picked on endlessly for the uh, the losses that we took in the yep. Pac-12 and uh, particularly to the teams that had losing records. And it, it, it was hard to say that how competitive the Pac-12 play could be. Um, and it was hard to make the case. I, I tried to several times, and it, in many cases the statistics really hurt strength of schedule for the Pac-12s. But like as you said, the Pac-12 is going through a kind of a renaissance in this coming year with the recruiting and so forth, even Cal getting a top prospect. So it's it's amazing. Yeah. it's I like seeing the Pac-12 healthy, and uh, obviously they're losing two of their best schools. But, uh, you know, for now, I like seeing the Pac-12 healthy. I like seeing the Pac-12, you know, have these competitive leagues. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens in the future. Um, speaking of scheduling, since we've been on the scheduling talk here, uh, Tommy Lloyd and Mark Few, I heard this the other day, and it was it brought me you know some thoughts here. Uh, a, I think they still have a good relationship. Wouldn't you agree? I agree. Why would these guys not want to schedule each other? Why do you I, think I, Tommy Lloyd and Mark Few? I know they're friends. Do you think that the the ability of you know maybe Mark Few dominating Tommy Lloyd or Tommy Lloyd just destroying Mark Few would hurt the friendship or? What do you, why do you think they don't want to schedule those games as uh, friends? It's not clear to me. My first take on that would have been that uh, that uh, Mark would not do that because if he takes a loss, particularly if Arizona's not in the top ten, if he takes a loss in a non-conference uh, game, it's harder to make it up for in his conference, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You, you you can't uh, you, you're not going to. It's not as easy to make up as it is for Arizona. Um, that was initially, but then again, that doesn't explain how why he had such a tough schedule previously, right? In or the last or year. why they accept an invitation to these preseason tournaments where that, you're in the group with Duke, Kentucky, Michigan State. You know, you're you're probably going to get a loss from one of those guys, anyways. No, and even even the games that he scheduled at a conference, the non conference games they played. If you look at him from the last year, and I mean, they were tough. He had, he had mm-hmm. a tough schedule, so that that doesn't hold water. Uh, to, I, I I'm not quite sure on that, and I've thought about that a lot because Arizona and uh, Gonzaga had the home and away situation before. We've played each other a few times right. and so forth, and I'd really like to see that come back. Yeah, I mean, one of the greatest games in March Madness history is between Gonzaga and Arizona with Lute Olson and Mark Few, and it just it went to double overtime, and everybody was just exhausted. Fans, players, everybody. 
You know, is one of those games where you could clearly see both teams left it all on the floor. That and, uh, that game, Ricky, I was literally the last person aboard an international flight in Dallas Fort Worth because I was standing in a, a area, and I just when I thought that game was going to end, it went into overtime, and then it went into the second one, and I almost missed the flight. I was literally the whole plane was waiting for me to go on a flight to Brazil because of that game. <laughs> it would have been worth it to miss the, the flight if you know to watch Arizona win, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the ultimate bear down right there. <laughs> exactly. So, no, I, I just love the games between Arizona and Gonzaga, and I was just curious if, if you had any ideas or, you know, I don't, I clearly don't. I have some thoughts that, you know, maybe they don't want to ruin a friendship or, or like you said, maybe they don't want to take early losses. But either way, I think it's, it's a fun game to play, and I think it's a challenge, and it, it's a good way to measure where your team is at. So, we'll, you know, why not do it? Um, and but, to, add to, to add to what you're saying, that one of the big reasons I'd like to do it so if you look at the the, the game, the teams we've highlighted, d- does Alabama, Duke, Michigan State, or Wisconsin need more press? Oh, Those no. are premier games. No, the West Coast basketball is where you need you need to have West Coast matchups, uh, premier matchups. Yep, absolutely. That's how you get West Coast basketball the attention it needs that everybody complains about. Have exactly. premier matchups in the West. US, UCLA and Arizona has been prime time a few times because it's a premier matchup. We've got to continue that. Agreed. 100% agreed. West Coast basketball, we need it. Um, okay, so before we head out, I just had a, a quick Arizona fun fact. I heard this on the radio the other day. Did you know that Lute Olson was never an assistant coach? I, I didn't, didn't know, know that. that. I didn't know that. I saw I saw what you I, I looked back at uh, at his history and stuff, and you're right. He he pretty he much jumped head into coach head at coaching. Long Beach City College. He was the head coach at Long Beach State University, head coach at University of Iowa, and head coach at the University of Arizona. But that was it. Uh, so I, I heard that on the radio, and I was just shocked. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I didn't know that. So it was, it was fun to hear that. Um, really impressive stuff. And on that note, because we're talking about Lute Olson, his assistant coach, one of his longtime assistant coaches at Arizona, Jim Rosborough, is being inducted into the Assistant Coaches Hall of Fame. So congrats to him. He's definitely earned it. Uh, you know, Jim Rosborough well is, deserved. is a, a main guy here in Arizona. Tucson fans, basketball fans love him. Arizona fans love him. So uh, congrats to him. He's certainly earned it with all those years with Lute Olson. He, uh, he's such a great coach. His dedication, his commitment, his ability to stick around and follow through and not uh, worry about being in the shadow of a great, just hats off, well-deserved. Absolutely. All right, Ed, well, before we head out, do you have any other thing you'd like to, like to say to anyone? Or? I would like to say to everyone, if the hype of ha- the schedule, the recruiting – and all of this hasn't got you going. I don't know what will. So as an Arizona fan, support your cats. Get excited about uh, what's coming. And listen on. We're going to be covering this in depth as, this, as things change. All right, Tucson. Tucson, what's good? Let's make sure we show everybody what's good. Thank you. Biased is what's good. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for listening to Bias in Arizona Basketball Podcast. Again, I am Ricky Garrett here with my co-host, Ed Bardo saying, bear down, folks. Bear down, go cats. We'll see you guys on the next one. Take care, everyone. Cats not letting him inside right now. Ziggler, ball knocked away by Boswell. Ziggler gets it back. Seven on the shot clock. Boswell all over Ziggler now. Throws it cross court, right corner. Open. Three ball. Good. Courtney Ramey. 
Works his way on lob play for Ballo. Layup is good. Inside, nobody open there. Back door cut to Larson.